This story has so many twists and wild tales along with it that it could be fictional. It's not. It's a true story. It's about a guy who puts everything on the line to ride his adventure of a lifetime, and I mean everything. And before he even leaves, his plans are upended, and that just happens over and over. Enough times you're going to find yourself saying, no way, more than once in this story. The other thing that you get from this is it really highlights how motorcyclists and this common thread of motorcycling It draws strangers together in an incredible way. And there's some real gems in our motorcycle community that seem to go far above and beyond the call of duty. And it's not just one or two. They seem to just keep coming up through this story. Now, despite the multitude of problems and associated pain that he experiences, he does have an incredible adventure. Maybe not the adventure he envisioned, but an an incredible experience no matter. And the entire time, He doesn't seem to ever waver from his goal or lose his enthusiasm for riding a motorcycle to Ushuaia. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. We got a good one for you. I'm Sam Manning. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Bill Bragu. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Thomas. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. I'm Marissa Notier, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. MotoBreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Google Tech filters. CyclePump.com. Uh, my name is Daniel Byers. I am from Northeast Ohio. I left in June of 2018. I cashed in everything I had and left the country to try to uh, attempt an around the world trip on my DR650. Um, the trip ended up being crazy and uh, over three years long. And I uh, returned to the United States in November of 2021. And then immediately upon my return was in a bad accident. And I've been living in Denver, Colorado since then, um, undergoing surgery after surgery after surgery, trying to fix my leg so I can walk again. And that's kind of it. I mean, there's a whole lot more in there. Sounds like your typical average life. Daniel, welcome yeah, back. Yeah. It's good to hear your voice again. <laughs> Thanks, Jim. It seems like every time I talk to you, it's about crazy stuff that's happened to me. You, you started out to go, yeah. you started out to head to Aswaya. That was your, that mm-hmm. was your goal. Um, right. But, but you didn't make it the first attempt. That was about a medical, you had some sort of medical emergency. Yeah, I had a uh, colon infection in southern Oaxaca that ruptured, went sepsis. And uh, they found me unconscious in my Airbnb apartment. 
took me to the hospital and I woke up a couple of days later. I ended up in the hospital in Oaxaca for over a month. And uh, after that, the doctors warned me that I shouldn't continue the trip until I had a couple surgeries done. So I rode my motorcycle back to Ohio at that point, sold some more toys and collectible stuff I had and flew back to Mexico and had the same doctors do the surgeries. Back to Ohio, prepped the bike again, and then left again for <laughs> my second attempt at Ushuaia. Uh, well, and in that time, too, you left out that you, do you I think you decided to do one of the, the backcountry discovery routes or something like that when, oh, you're, on, well, <laughs> when you're on your way back. I remember <laughs> well, you saying yeah, that. Yeah, that. Yeah. I, I, wrote, I didn't ride the backcountry discovery route. What I did is I entered the U.S. intending on riding back to Ohio for surgery. And, and I was feeling better at the time, much better. And uh, so I went to the West Coast, up to Oregon. And got on the Transamerica Trail. Transamerica and I, Trail. And I rode that east to North Carolina um, and um, then rode to Boston to visit my son and and then back to Ohio while the snow was flying. So, yeah, I don't do things that they, they've recommended, I guess. Crazy stuff. And no, no, no I, I want to back up even more because before sure. you, before you're in your previous life, I would call it, uh, <laughs> you, you do not, your previous life does not match up with the life you have now. You could be two completely different people. Like the old Dan is gone and this is the new Dan. Because oh, the sure. old Dan was a, uh, a buyer from what I remember. I think you were a yeah. contract negotiator for a pharmaceutical company. Is that it? Uh, yeah, for last dozen years, a pharmaceutical company. Before that, I was with a, a third-tier automotive manufacturer doing the same thing. Right. Uh, in, in material acquisition. Yeah, that's that's a that's a, a quite a change in life. And you've you've sort of um, you left that life. You you retired. You did a you did a fast retirement, and <laughs> you took all your money. Yes, you, you just mentioned you sold everything to go and do your trip to South America. Now, from what I remember, before you left. You actually got in an accident with the bike that you'd prepped to go with. And, and God, I you, you, you said, have a great memory. I, I believe you said your friends said that that was a bad omen about doing this whole adventure. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had finally, I had a, a $8,000 budget for the bike for the trip and I bought a, a 2006 DR. I finally decided on a DR650 as the platform to build. And I bought a really beat up 2006 really cheaply, but it had pretty low miles on it, but it was really poorly cared for. And I bought the beginnings of the parts it needed to get it going. Uh, carburetor rebuild, uh, rear shock, tires, chain, sprocket. Well, and I strapped like a hundred pounds of crap on the back of that bike. And I rode it to Southern Ohio, you know, about a four hour ride to a friend of mine's house that had a huge garage, a man cave. We were going to spend the weekend, you know, prepping up this DR to make it, make it rideable enough not to travel around the world, but for me to get some experience in the seat of a DR650. And uh, to be honest, I don't remember much. Uh, uh, on the way back from that, I was involved in an accident where I got T-boned by a car and I went through the windshield of the car head first, ended up unconscious in the passenger seat with my legs sticking out the windshield. And uh, I don't remember any of this, Jim. I don't remember even the two days before that, hanging out with my buddy, drinking beers, working on the bike. Mm -hmm. I, I have fleeting little glimpses of memories of his, <laughs> silly as heck, of his little dog dancing while I said it. And I wow. told him that. I said, I, I remember your dog, you know, this little dog, like on his high lane. And he goes, yeah, you, were, you kept feeding it from the potato soup we were eating. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's the weirdest thing. That's all I remember. 
and all my friends and family were like, that's a bad omen. You really shouldn't. Uh, and I, I looked at it differently because miraculously I came out of that accident with just tissue damage, no broken bones. It destroyed my helmet, destroyed my pants, destroyed the bike, bent the bike in half. Um, and while I was recuperating, I bought, you know, another DR650. <laughs> and that's what your friends and family are saying. This, this is kind of ludicrous. Well, you know. <laughs> the last time I talked to you, you were headed for Ushuaia. And, and I think what you yeah. said at the time was that was your goal. As a matter of fact, I think yeah. you were talking about really, and I guess that goes along with what you've said so far here, is you were looking for a place to live as well. You, you, were, you were sort of yeah. you know, exiting the, the U.S., looking for a new home. You were headed yes. to Ushuaia. You weren't quite sure if you're going to make it. And, and I know money was an issue. You could because you only had a, a certain amount of money. I think you, you, you cashed in your retirement and whatnot, and you went on. You did make it to Ushuaia, didn't you? And I, yes, I know sir. at the time you said if you didn't, you would have to go home, regroup, save <laughs> some more money, and, and then try it again. But you made well, it. Well, you know, like from from the time I hit Chile, um, you know, if you're going down the West Coast to South America, you're in and out of Chile and Argentina um, multiple times, sometimes every day. Things got incredibly cheap. <laughs> like uh, we, I camped a whole lot. You know, my biggest expense was gasoline. Food was so cheap. And uh, I love camp cooking. So, you know, quarter of a chicken and a handful of fresh vegetables at a local market literally was a laughable amount of money. And that's a nice meal in a camp cook, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, camping was free. Um, I, I, I needed some money, you know, for maintenance. I needed to chain and sprocket Ushuaia. I had a fork seal blow, I think, in somewhere in Argentina. But not that much, though. I mean, that, not that's that much. So my, my, by the time I got to Ushuaia, I had enough money at that time to... I was riding with a group of people that were riding back up to Buenos Aires to ship their bikes home. A British guy to England, a German rider to Germany. And um, I was considering shipping, shipping Sunny to South Africa. And I, I had planned out that I had enough money to get up Africa across Europe and, and then run out of money. And the plan was I would just sell her and use the money from selling the bike to fly home. And then what? Well, I always had a standing offer for my father to live with him in, in, in my old bedroom. And uh, that's where I'm going in June here. I haven't been around my family and my, my father in a long time. It's been years, and uh, I miss them terribly. Um, it'll be nice. Hmm. When you're headed to Ushuaia, you're meeting people along the way. Do you end up making oh, yeah. some, some real friendships from it? Because you're riding by yourself. Oh, yeah. Um, the, real, the real grouping of friendships started in uh, the Atacama Desert. Um, in the middle of the Atacama Desert, which is like the driest place on Earth, uh, there's this little city. It's an oasis down in this valley and there's springs that feed it. So you've been riding for days in desert and then you descend into this green and it's this town called uh, San Pedro de Atacama. And um, I stayed in a really cool hippie hostel there. And I, I arrived a couple days before Christmas in 2019 and I was going to, I liked it so much, I was going to stay there through the New Year's and then ride further south. And then someone on my Facebook page, German writer Olaf Wiedemeyer, 
said he was in uh, La Paz, Bolivia, heading west, and was wondering if there was any place to stay within a few days' ride that was celebrating Christmas. And this hostel I was at was going to have a big Christmas dinner. So I said, yeah, man, come on down here. So Olaf arrives, and on the way, he meets another American, um, Kurt, on a KLR650, and Kurt's Colombian friend, Sergio, on a, a Honda XRE300. Kurt met Sergio in Colombia and had been riding south with him. They ran into Olaf on the way to San Pedro de Atacama, and they all arrived together, and we, we became fast friends. And, and that week between Christmas and New Year's, I uh, an unimaginable quantity of wine was consumed. I mean, <laughs> and just for your, your listeners, you need to know, like, when I was there in 2019, everywhere in Argentina and Chile you went, bottled local wine is cheaper than bottled water. So you go into the local bodega to get your liter of water or two for the day's ride. And you look over there and there's a rack of like wine made 10 feet away. Uh, it's half the price of the water. Well, you know, but most of us still bought the water. But like it was funny for a weeks, we'd be riding along and everybody had like one or two bottles of wine, like bungee to the back of their bike, like kind of safely, kind of, you know, hoping that they're not going to clink together, you know. We stayed together, not only all the way to Ushuaia, but, but off and on back up north to Buenos Aires. And then in the mix, we also met and rode with a British guy, Sam. Sam's on a little Honda XR400. And Sam's riding with his girlfriend, Mystery, on the back of an XR400. And the bike doesn't even have passenger pegs. And, cool. and, and not only that, they didn't have like motorcycle luggage they had two hard frame backpacks like you know hikers backpacks mm -hmm. strapped to the sides of this bike so this bike was like unbelievable load just thing carried in and it it <laughs> it was pretty funny olaf olaf was riding a uh, 1999 i think or 98 honda africa twin and of course i'm on a dr650 and uh when we were on pavement sections, Sam and Mystery would Sam, we'd stop and Sam would go, Where are we gonna stay again tonight? Or where are we headed to? And, oh, we'll just see you there because you know I just roll away at 60, 65. My bike was real comfortable at 65 miles an hour. And that seemed like way too much for that XR four hundred carrying that load. But when we were on really rough roads like Route of 40 and uh Carretera Austral, the speeds were, you know, 35, 45-ish. Real rough dirt roads um, and deep sand and rock. And <laughs> Sam and Mystery would go blasting by on the XR400 <laughs> at like 50. It's like his speed stayed 50, whether he was on rough stuff or pavement. didn't matter. I couldn't do that. I, I had to slow down the washboard stuff. And I didn't want it to destroy my rear shock. I did carry a rebuild kit for the shock, but that's something I didn't want to have to do. So these friends that you made, what, what, yeah. do they, what do they mean to you now? We still stay in touch. Um, Sergio uh, flew back to um, Uruguay, picked up his XRE 300 that was stuck in because of COVID. And he's now riding back down to Patagonia with a friend of his. Kurt had a plan to go get his KLR in Uruguay. But Kurt 
just re- he's in Georgia. He recently had his, his uh, mother pass away, so he delayed that. And now he's worried that his extended TIP for the bike is expiring and he might lose the bike and all this. And, mm. um, Olaf, just recently, like two weeks ago, I left when I left Brazil, Olaf stayed there and he was living with a family that all spoke German, which I'm sure made him in heaven. <laughs> and, and, and the one guy also rode bikes. So Olaf stayed in Brazil two years and did a lot of exploring uh, on his Africa twin. Just recently, he stored his bike in Brazil and flew back to Germany. Mm, this is during COVID. He, he stayed there. Yeah. Because you ended up, um, now you made it to Ushuaia, as we said, you, you you were heading back up. Your plan was at that point, to, you, you mentioned that you were you were thinking of shipping the bike over to Africa. So yeah. what, what did you do there? You're, you're going to go up to well, well, the we US? Were all rent, yeah, the group of us were renting a big apartment, Airbnb apartment in Buenos Aires. Um, on day X, Sam sh- sh- went to the port and shipped his bike successfully to England. On the next day, Y... Sergio uh, and Kurt leave on their bikes to go to, to ride to Uruguay because they, they wanted to uh, store their bikes in Uruguay because Uruguay has got policies where you can store it indefinitely as far as your paperwork. Um, and then on the next day, Z, Olaf was going to ride his bike to the port, get it crated and shipped to Germany, and he gets a uh, notification that the boat was canceled. So he contacts the broker and says he's willing to spend an extra 1500 bucks, I think it was, over the boat price to have it shipped on an airplane. And the broker told him all freight flights out of Buenos Aires have been canceled. And we asked why, and the guy said flippantly on the speakerphone, you don't know about this virus going on in China? And we had heard a little bit about it in the news when we were in Ushuaia. But from Ushuaia up the East Coast to Buenos Aires, there's a lot of windswept nothingness, and it's not like we were at the end of a hard 80-mile-an-hour sidewind days. It's not like we were all, like, trying to get a Wi-Fi to look at the news, you know? We were mm-hmm. all, like, <laughs> drinking wine and <laughs> and sleeping. Anyways, and uh, so Olaf said, well, Dan, where are you going? I said, well, my plan is to see Iguazu Falls, which is, like, one of the seven wonders of the world. And then I was going to uh, ride across Brazil, cut into Bolivia, because I skipped Bolivia on the way south, and then into Peru to meet friends that I made on the way south. A couple girls that I hung out with in San Pedro de Atacama invited me to hang out with them. And um, I said, then I'm going north. He says, well, I'll ride with you ways. So Olaf and I rode, left Buenos Aires, and we rode, I don't know if you're familiar with the map of of Argentina, Brazil, but in from the coastline a little, Argentina has a finger that extends way north into Brazil. And at the end of the finger is Iguazu Falls, which is like this insane five-kilometer-wide waterfall series. Um, And that whole finger is gemstone mining, which was really cool. We passed hundreds of, like, amethyst and quartz mines and stuff. Mm. And... So Olaf and I, we get to the border to cross into Brazil, and we stamp out of Argentina, no problem. We cross the no man's land. We we go to stamp ourselves into Brazil, and while we're there, their computers 
crash, we were told. So we waited two or three hours, and it was broiling hot. And they invited us in the air-conditioned office of the chief of the federal police on the border. So we're sitting in this air-conditioned office by ourselves, drinking water and chatting. And here comes the, the head guy. He spoke English, and he tells us that computers didn't crash, that Brazil reset all the border computers and rebooted them with new instructions because in 48 hours, all the borders in South America were closing. <laughs> and we're like, what? So at this point, you, you're not really plugged in still to the virus and what's going on. No, we, we and it's even worse. We had already stamped out of Argentina and given them our TIPs for the bikes. Uh, right. We're in no man's land. And we're like, what? And he's like, yeah, you know, uh, hopefully the computers come back up. We can stamp you in. We're like, no, no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, Olaf right away goes, man, we got to get it. We got to get the hell out of here. And I said, what? He goes, nobody ships vehicles in or out of Brazil ever. There's a reason for it, Dan. He goes, we got to get the back to Buenos Aires. So I said, hey, can we turn around here and go back to Argentina? He said, no, I'm not legal. I said, come on, man. This is a special circumstance. So he called the Argentina thing, and they said no. And so, and so like two hours later, the computers came up. We entered Brazil, and sure enough, two days later, we were in Curitiba, Brazil, at an Airbnb apartment. <laughs> an Airbnb apartment, and I'm not kidding you, that was owned by a Satanist. <laughs> the guy was the most bizarre, right? Oh, he's actually there while you're there, right? We, we, we went to this Airbnb apartment in Curitiba, Olaf and I. We, we go to this guy's house in an okay neighborhood, secure parking for the bikes. We go in. The house was really bizarre and dark, candles and weird shit, you know? And Olaf and I were like, this is weird. We're talking like this, you know? And then later that day, I look up the guy's name and find his Facebook account. And he was literally a Satanist. <laughs> that makes you feel comfortable, I'm sure. Oh, it, it was. A, <laughs> it, I think we stayed two nights, too, because Olaf needed to do something on his bike. Well, but anyways, yeah, it ended up being a long, long stay in Brazil. Boy. When you're traveling along with your friends that you get, these people you've met that have yeah. become good friends, is that like a, like a separate sort of experience for you as opposed to the trip itself? I mean, because part of the thing was, you know, you're heading down to experience different cultures and look at places. And we mentioned you were, you were kind of looking for a place to live and then you're hanging out with all these people. Is it like two different things going on there? Well, a great question. Um, not exactly because when I met these group of people, my time spent with them was from the Atacama Desert south to Ushuaia and then up the north coast to Buenos Aires. And nothing against it. And there's spectacular scenery in that period. But nothing in that period is anywhere I would want to live. Hmm. Does that make sense? Like, uh, there wasn't a single place in Chile or Argentina that I considered, wow, this would be a great place to, to live. But, but uh, that's not all you're doing, though, because you're, you're, you're experiencing Because I, I know I think you like culture, oh, yeah, yeah, like, you but, like history but, but, and stuff. It, it's tough, man. I mean, uh, it's tough travel. It's not impossible travel, but I'm carrying like 150 pounds of gear. And the people I was with were carrying big loads. And Route of 40 in the Carretera Austral and, and Route 7 and Route of 7 and, and a lot of these roads and any of the connecting roads, man, they're, they're insane, Jim. It's like, uh, 
some days you're just so happy that everybody's alive and intact and no one crashed and every single day and i'm not exaggerating this every single day riding south once you enter chile argentina area we saw people on the side of the road injured every single day um i think only twice did we come up on someone that was down on a bike that was no one there helping most every time we'd come up there would already be two or other bikes and a vehicle or two stopped and helping them but you know you're looking at someone's crumpled up africa twin laying on the side of the road and they're laying on their back you know they're they're hurt Uh, so so it's like an expedition you guys all working together to get through something so the focus has to be on the group at that point (laughs) yeah and i'll tell you what Olaf back in Germany was like a semi-professional enduro racer. And there were days when we got into the bad stuff where, you know, the group and, and me were slowing down. You know, your brain tells you this is bad. Slow down. Yeah. And, 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 and the more you slow down, the more your front end sinks down in the crap and it just washes out and goes and it's crazy. And you go down multiple times. And then Olaf got frustrated all of a sudden at one break when we were helping Sergio pick up his bike Olaf goes, I'm done with this. I'll see you guys later at the hostel. And he, with his Africa twin, which is like a heavy bike with like only eight inches of suspension, he like roosts through this stuff and pulls a wheelie and rides it through this road or pulling away from us at like 60 miles an hour. <laughs> and that night, I, I, when we saw him, he goes, man, I've been here four hours. And he, he taught me what everyone had told me, you know, like all these things you hear, pin it to win it. When in doubt, throttle out. All these sayings that people tell you that are counterintuitive to your brain saying this is dangerous. And the reality of it is, and when you get into that deep ripio and the sand, and, and Olaf said, get up off your pegs, get your weight back to make the front end lighter. Drop it down one gear lower than you think you should be in and floor it. So it's when you floor it, your rear wheel suddenly just spins, digs down through the crap to the hard base and bites. And when it bites and drives the bike forward, the front end comes up. And now you're just, the front wheel is just skimming on the surface. You ever watch the Dakar guys going 70 miles an hour through mm-hmm. sand and dunes? That's what they're doing. Olaf called it swimming. So he wasn't frustrated so much with the conditions as the speed or the way you guys were all tackling it as a group. Well, he, he was very clear to us that night. He says, the way you guys are riding this is more dangerous than going faster. And so the next day, I I asked him, bear with me. I'm going to try this. I'm going to try this. And the rest of them, no, they, they didn't want to do it. And uh, sure enough, within a day or two, Olaf and I had separated from them almost every day. And we were blasting by people. I mean, there there were parts of Route of 40 where at 45, 50 miles an hour in fourth gear, you know, you, you're, the bike's just skimming over the top of all this stuff. And and you slow down even to stop to take a break, and all of a sudden, whoosh, the front wheel's down in it. And, you know, it's going everywhere. And I learned. I learned to ride. That's one of the reasons why I stayed with Olaf. Um, he taught me so much about it and he was a master mechanic, man. He could have your rear wheel off, a flat fixed, and your, your wheel back on before you could even get your tools out. Oh, it was insane watching him work. 
The washboard is, is some of the most difficult stuff to ride. Oh, God. It, because it's so frustrating. It's it's aggravating. So it not only grates on you physically, but mentally. And like you say, the, right. the more you slow down, which you automatically want to when the bike starts bouncing around, the more difficult yeah. it becomes to, to handle the bike. And yeah, yeah and, and the pinning it, or not pinning it, but I mean, going fast enough that you're bouncing off the tops is a way to uh, to handle it. But it, it's it's unnerving because it's like you said, it's it's everything that your brain is telling you not to do. Exactly. And and I started this trip. Well, I started part two of this trip already having to undergo like a blown up colon and all these other things. And I had to change my diet and I had to drink more water and all these things. I'm constantly thinking about my health every day. I'm like, suddenly I'm like standing up on the pegs, my ass back so far that it's touching my top case. And I'm going 55 miles an hour and, and we're coming up on a group of BMW GS 1200s, you know, that are the same thing, wallowing around at 40. And Olaf and I go by them like they're standing still. It was kind of funny at times, but kind of like, but kind of like, you know, like, what are they thinking? Like, are we stupid? Well, I'm, I bet <laughs> they were thinking that. <laughs> they probably were. They yeah. go by like hooligans, you know. Did you break anything on your bike doing that? No. No. Cause it's I not, did not. Because it's not being beat the same as if you were That's rattling right. along at 40 That's kilometers right. an hour, mile an hour. The movements on your suspension are less. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, a little quick story. There was this one day where there was multiple border crossings, Chile to Argentina, back to Chile, back to Argentina. And in between stamping out of one country and stamping into another country was about a 12 kilometer stretch of some of the worst road ever. It's a no man's land stretch, right? Worst road ever. Why? What, what describes this road? It, it was okay. You're on route of 40 which is bad enough, but this section in between the one government and the next was completely unmaintained. It wasn't dragged. It wasn't gravel spread. It was nothing. So what's it look like? Um, <laughs> washboard 10 inches high, um, you know, eight inch deep hole on the other side of the washboard, mm. um, grooves in the sand that were like, you know, going from, hard pack to 10 inches of, you know, crown of sand, and, you know, completely random stuff, hard to hold a line. And you got 12 kilometers of this to ride. Uh, 12 kilometers. And so Olaf and I, we're, we know this is coming. We've heard about it. Everyone's warned us about it. And we come up to, uh, I think it was the immigration office and, oh, there's the BMW riders in front of us, right? In line, like five guys in front of us. And they nod and we nod. And as soon as they get their stamp, I'm not kidding you, they run out of the office to get on their bikes. And, and we know they're trying to stay ahead of us. It was like <laughs> a thing happening all day. <laughs> Me and Olaf and these two BMWs passing each other back and forth all day, right? And so they get on their bikes. They, they, you see they're rushing their helmets on. They keep looking back at the, at the immigration office. It's a little booth. And Olaf and I are looking out the screen door at them like, this is funny to us. And they, they blast off into the oblivion. And so Olaf and I get, get through our stamps and we start our bikes. And, and sure enough, within a kilometer, it's like really bad. And Olaf drops the hammer and takes off. And uh, so I drop the hammer and take off. And, and we're skimming or swimming, as he called it. You know, we're like, like about 50 miles an hour through this stuff. And sure enough, we come around the corner and there are both of the BMWs on the deck. Hey, we're going to take a, a very quick break here while I tell you about a couple of things, but stick around because we got a lot more coming up and you're going to have to listen to the very end because the very end is almost like the beginning again. 
Stay with us. Well, it's all happening again this year. Overland Expo West is on in Flagstaff, Arizona, this May 20th to 22nd, um, this year, 2022, at the Fort Tuthill County Park. They have, well, they say the greatest collection of Overland Adventure Companies in the world. 300 vendors, 300 gear vendors in one spot. There's so much going on here. I can't give you everything that's happening, but this is the place to go for an Overland event for the year. If I were you, I would set this date on your calendar. And by, by the way, if you want tickets, you got you got to go online. I'm going to give you the website in a minute, but it's May 20th to 22nd this year. You can go, you can park your bike, you can camp for the weekend. You can um, take all kinds of things that, that are happening here. You can walk around, talk to the vendors. You can buy equipment for your bike. You can actually get things installed on your bike there. You can learn how to ride better. You can learn skills. Hey, and you know who's doing that is is Bill Dragoo, who you've heard here on Adventure Rider Radio. He's doing the, the motorcycle stuff at Overland Expo. They've got authors, filmmakers, travelers um, doing workshops and classes, sharing their stories of, of riding on the road. Um, you, you get a lot of one-on-one. I mean, this is total immersion here. You're, you're around a whole bunch of other overlanders. Now, your tickets have to be purchased uh, online at overlandexpo.com. They've got to be done in advance. So make sure you go there because there's a bunch of different ways to experience the show. There's so much going on there that you sort of want to pick and choose what you want to do. You can get a day pass, a weekend pass, a, a moto weekend pass with camping. They, they actually have specific motorcycle things, many specific motorcycle things, but including a, a, a moto party dinner. So um, go to the website, have a look at what they've got. It's overlandexpo.com. And this is the the May 20th to 22nd. Mark it on your calendar. You've got to get to an Overland event this year. Overlandexpo.com. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure. Rider Radio. Well, when the temperature drops, let's face it, on a motorcycle, well, just about any time, your hands and feet are usually the first things to get cold, especially if you're eating up some miles and your feet are sitting out there and your foot pegs exposed to the wind and the rain and whatever else comes at you. But you know what it's like. Once your feet get cold, you know how difficult it is to get them warmed up again. Your hands, not so bad, but your feet, you can stop, you can warm them up, or you think you've got a little bit warm, shove them back in your boots, and next thing you know, they're cold again. And uncomfortable feet, well, it just kind of ruins the ride and really shortens your enthusiasm for the day's fun. Now, I'll tell you what I've learned by spending my entire life really doing outdoors things and experimenting with all kinds of clothing and different things to try and stay warm and keep me out in, in, uh, in environments or in conditions in the environment that uh, you don't really want to be out in normally. Socks are very difficult to get that really keep your feet warm. And, and I couldn't really find any that, that really blew me away. I mean, just sort of got used to dealing with that problem. That is until I got Pearly's possum socks sent to me. They seemed um, thick and fluffy, which they were, but um, man, are they warm. These are fantastic socks. They wick away moisture. They're made with possum fur and merino wool. And they've got a special blend there. And they're also made just for motorcyclists. These are designed for us motorcyclists. There's different sizes you can get. I like the really tall ones because they, they, they fill my boot completely. But when they get damp, they're still warm. They wick away moisture. They don't stink. You can ride in these things forever. Don't do it. They don't stink because of the materials they're made of, these natural fibers. Absolutely amazing socks. The These are the best cold weather socks I have ever come across. I find them amazing. And when the, when the cold weather starts, I am using them all the time. I even wear them in my boots in the summertime. They wick away that moisture. So I find they work quite well in the summertime. 
that's, that's going to be up to you, of course. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is a website. Drop by, have a look. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Oh, and by the way, I made them the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio. Not something we normally do, but I got so excited about them. And I'm thinking socks. I can't believe I'm so excited about socks. But anyway, the official sock. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. like about 50 miles an hour through this stuff and sure enough we come around the corner and there are both of the bmws on the deck mm. both of them and and both riders were standing and there were people with cars stopped but their bikes were both laying down like almost on top of each other and uh i mean i'm happy they were okay seemingly but uh, we didn't see them the rest of the day you guys didn't stop you you blew past <laughs> <laughs> no, that make me a bad person. I don't know. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna judge that. I don't think so. Since they already had help. No, you go did, ahead. You, man. You, no, your automatic thing was they were both standing there, and there were other people around. I and mean, I think they that were. sort of that that sort they of tells were. you your thought process right there. Is your first checking and for safety, just happened and then you're laughing. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And, and it must have just happened because bikes weren't even picked up yet. But but anyway, I wanted to ask you. you so you, COVID came in, and, and what happened? Did you end up getting stuck in South America? Yeah. Um, we spent a couple days with that Satanist <laughs> and then we rode to a city called Joinville and stayed in a really nice Airbnb apartment um, with a really nice guy and his dog and we stayed there one month and it was I think the equivalent of 450 US a month and wow. Olaf and I were splitting that oh jeez and um he started getting flack from Airbnb. Airbnb, look, the guy, the guy was being honest at his request. Are you still hosting? So Airbnb at that time was starting to shut down hosting. So he had already screwed up, I guess, and been honest to Airbnb. Said, yeah, I'm running an apart- two apartments right now. Ours and another one was occupied. And so they said, you know, we're going to, I don't know what threats they give Airbnb hosts, but they threatened him and he said we couldn't stay there any longer. So uh, he gave us a week and as much as people, as much as people don't like Facebook, Jim, I can't tell you the many, many, many times that networking on Facebook got me a a new inner tube, a tire, a chain, Mm -hmm. you know. A, a, per, a place to stay. And so I went on Facebook groups and I searched for motorcycle groups in Brazil. And I found a motorcycle adventure group out of Joinville. And I posted, I joined their group and I posted, Hey, you need a place to stay. It looks like all the Posadas, which are hotels, all the Posadas and everything are being shut down by the government. And this one guy, Luis Honorio, he told Olaf and I, hey, man, where are you at? We gave him a Google map pin and he rode there on his GS 1250. And uh, we followed him to Joinville to his house and stayed with him a few days in his house, which he had multiple guest rooms, but, you know, his family was there. I don't know. I, it was in the middle of the city, too. And I didn't think of it as a prime. It didn't matter because shortly thereafter, his mother and father who own a Posada right on the beach about um, two and a half hours south of Joinville in a, in a little town called Praia do Estelario. And Praia is uh, Portuguese for beach. 
So Spanish is playa and Portuguese is praia. Anyways, and they agreed to rent Olaf and I an apartment there, even though the government had shut down the Posada. And we went there and shared an apartment. And I don't know, two months later, Olaf moved in with that German family. And I was there alone and they gave me a really affordable price. And, and the woman that ran the place, her name is uh, Emma. She became like my mother. She, she cooked me meals every day. Um, they helped me try to learn Portuguese, <laughs> which, wow. which was, that was messed up too, Jim. I, I worked so hard for over two years traveling to try to learn Spanish and we get stuck in a country that speaks another language. And <laughs> that's true. And, 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 and to make matters worse, it was such a confusing language. You know, like the, the word for cat is the same, but the word for dog is different. And when you ask them why, they just shrug their shoulders and go, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but that's pretty amazing. That's an amazing connection because you started off by saying there about Facebook and how people hate Facebook. And we, we love to complain oh, about is. the things that we use all the time. And they do. I, I agree. Yeah. But but I mean, yeah. the, the thing is, like you say, and I hear this over and over again, the connections made well on the road, well in need. And you meet a stranger, your only connection, motorcycles. He takes you yeah. in, then he connects you with his parents, and then you end up yeah. staying there all through the connection of motorcycles. That is amazing, isn't it? That is amazing. And we're still friends. Well, you can't and, be that bad of a person, Dan, because, because if, oh, if you manage to stay there that long and they put up with you, how bad can you be? <laughs> um, if, if you go on my YouTube channel, um, there's a video of the day I was leaving and uh, the father, Antonio, Emma's husband, is a retired pastor. And he does an entire like five minute benediction and then sings a song, all of it written for me. So he goes, he, I have a video on my YouTube channel of him doing it, which some people find not very interesting because there's some guy speaking Portuguese for 10 minutes about Jesus, Jesus and stuff and then sings this song. Mm-hmm. But, but to me, it like, it opens my heart up because every evening at dusk, I would hear him playing his guitar and singing from my apartment. Every, you know, he was maybe a hundred feet away in their home. And uh, while my time in Brazil was very stressful as far as, wow, when is the pandemic going to end? Will I ever get out of here? How's my family? Blah, blah, blah. Uh, looking back on it now, it's also very idyllic. I was by myself in this Posada with a beautiful swimming pool. Um, I could go on day trips into the mountains of Brazil through gorgeous dirt roads. So what are you doing every day? You're just exploring from there? Well, I was afraid because of the virus. I mean, sorry, but, uh, I was afraid of, uh, spending like multiple day trips. I didn't want to be too much interaction with people at gas stations. This is before people were even masking up. Mm -hmm. And, um, I certainly didn't want to interact with people at hostels or posadas. I mean, I was already in my bubble of the people I saw every day. Sure. And they were very aware of the virus and stayed in their bubble. And um, so what I would do, because my bike has a massive gas tank, (laughs) nine-gallon tank, is that they had a gas supply there at the posada. I would fill up. and I have almost a 450-mile range. I I could do huge eight-hour rides off the coast up into the mountains and ended up back where I was the evening. That's all I did. And not see anyone, not have to talk to anyone, not have to stop anywhere for anything. Eh, not really. Yeah. yeah. I pack food. 
you know, I'd stop somewhere. My favorite thing is stopping somewhere with a great view and no traffic. I'm doing that now in Colorado. Almost every day, right, I go out of here, I, I have a little bit of food with me, my chair, and my goal is to find some spot with no traffic and a great view, stop, get my chair out, and chill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is an unexpected stay, obviously, for you on this trip, but it's cheaper by the sounds of it than than traveling. It, it probably saved you money well, as far as a, a month-by-month I have basis. no money, Jim. I mean, uh, this, well, this, this is not a call. Say, you, you ran By the way, this is, this is not a call out to your listeners for money, okay? Please don't anyone misinterpret that. I'm flat broke and have been for a while. I'm on Medicaid, and I don't even feel... I don't even feel put off by that because, you know, I work corporate life and paid my taxes for years to the federal government. Um, Medicaid has paid for five surgeries for me. You know, Um, if I start working, the moment I start collecting a paycheck, I I lose Medicaid coverage. Mm. So I'm kind of in a rock and a hard place. I have open job offers back in Ohio, but I don't want to go back to the corporate life. Is that, is that what it is? You're, you're getting job offers to go back and work the old life, yeah, the old Dan they want back. You have to shave for that, wouldn't you? Well, I made, I made them all money. They want, they want someone that does their homework. That Yeah. That, that, you know, my work was not flawless, but my work was dependable and, and, and profitable. Are you still that guy though? Could you actually do that? I mean, if you no. had to push comes to shove, you. I so much want to use bad language right now. No. <laughs> No, it's not you anymore. That's no, that's the old no. Dan. That that wasn't me. Yeah, I'm telling you, Jim. That was math speaking. That was that was Dan. There came a point the last few years where I quit cutting my hair, and I you know I, I caught so much flack for going into like corporate meetings with a ponytail, you know, and you can't wear it, and and I, I'm balding up front. So 90% of the time I'm wearing a baseball cap. It's just been my look since my late twenties when I started balding and I would show up at corporate meetings in a jacket and tie with a ponytail and a baseball an Indian's baseball cap. on. And my, my, the manufacturers had no problem with it. We, we had already been through extensive email communications and they knew who I was in phone communication. They knew who I was. But, you know, the corporate bosses could not have that. How did you run out of money? My money was running running out. You know, it was costing me a few hundred every month for rent mm-hmm. and then food. And I had job offers, again, back at, in the real life. And I and it, when I left on the trip, I almost had every intentions of returning to the real life for a few years until retirement. Why not? I mean, I, I can hold my nose and go in there. <laughs> so, so you're watching your, your money sort of dwindle down. At one point, you decide to go back to the U.S. And, and, yeah. and what did you do? How did you get out? Well, nothing was shipping at all. There were no flights out. I was asked by the U.S. government in an email to join the STEP program, S-T-E-P, which is, uh, was a program created for displaced um, passport holders. and for some reason, the U.S. government decided to offer no repatriation flights to Brazil, Peru, Ecuador, Chile, Argentina. The U.S. government was flying jets there at their expense to get trapped, trapped tourists out. Mm-hmm. Brazil, literally, I, I have emails I saved, personal emails from, I won't give you her name, that said basically, 
good luck. Try to get out of there as soon as you can. You're on your own. You're on your own. Yeah. And uh, I couldn't find flights. And and then I met a guy on Facebook <laughs> named Ramiro Colsani, who worked for a transportation company who found a row-row boat, roll-on, roll-off container boat that was made for automobile traffic, but it had never been authorized for motorcycles. And Ramiro had a friend in Brazilian customs because my TIP had expired. And long story short, it cost me about $3,000 to put my bike on this boat. And it was hidden in a corner and covered so the inspectors wouldn't see it. And the paperwork I did was all 100% up to snuff. It was, that was the cool thing is that, you know, it took me with Luis Honorio's help a whole week to get uh, what's called my CPF number. That is the equivalent of a social security number. And in Brazil, anyone, a tourist even, that spends more than $2,000 has to have a CPF number. And, um, so I got my CPF number and I had to go here to get this stamp, go there to get this document, go there to get this stamp, pay, pay $300 for this duty tax, pay $1,300 for this duty tax. And then Sonny was put on a boat and arrived in the port of Galveston, Texas about five weeks later. And then I, I flew to Houston on a really roundabout way because of COVID. It took like, I think five flights to get to Houston from Paranagua, Brazil. Yeah. It was a crazy time for anywhere going anywhere. It cost me, I think almost $2,000 in flights. Oh, so it's just eating off your money coming back. Yeah. So then I get back and I had to pay a large sum at uh, the clinic in Texas because my insurance didn't cover a whole lot. You did have travel insurance, so you did have medical insurance for traveling. I had a, a Geico insurance policy for my bike that included some medical coverage. Right. Okay. So you get back to the States and then something happens. Can you talk about that? Set that up. Well, we'll just have one very quick break and then we're going to come back and you're going to hear the final story. Stay with us. If you want to get the most out of your ride, change your foot pegs out for a set of high quality foot pegs. IMS Products makes a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs that will likely fit your bike. And they have a variety of styles from a narrow peg on up to the wide pegs, the ADV ones and ADV twos. Have a look at what they've got. It's imsproducts.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. imsproducts.com. RoadDogPub.com is your gateway to motorcycle adventure travel books. Road Dog Pub is the publisher of a slew of motorcycle travel books, including all kinds of well-known names that you already know. They've got new books coming out all the time, so, so bookmark that website, RoadDogPub.com. Now, mind you, you can get their books anywhere. At, at, most, at most, I would say, are all quality bookstores. They've got a new one coming out by... Um, 
Tom Router called The Tom Report. And it's about uh, two guys riding DR650s from Washington to Argentina and uh, all the the uh, misadventure they get into and the adventure they get into and the, all the people they meet up with on the journey. Another one they have coming out is Chasing Northern Lights by Miguel Oldenburg. He's a Venezuelan who now lives in the U.S., the story is about how he went about learning about his new home and the people uh, on a ride from New York to Alaska. And uh, I think that book is either coming out very soon or has just been published now. All Road Dog Pubs, as I said, are available at fine bookstores. You can contact the publisher directly by going to the website, rodogpub.com. And anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there, you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio, rodogpub.com. You get back to the States and then something happens. Can you talk about that? Set that up. Yeah, so I meet I meet a uh, uh, an adventure writer named Brian Gurney, uh, who lived in Texas, and he had been following my blog. And Brian offered to give me a place to stay and a ride to the port to pick up my bike. And so I ordered parts and had them shipped to Brian's house, tires and some other stuff. And um, it worked out fine. I met Brian, stayed at his house a few days, did work on my bike. He got got me to the port to pick it up. So he rode with me a part of the ways out of Houston. And my plan was to ride along the Mexico border to El Paso and then directly north up on side roads to Denver. And um, Woody, Woody and I had been talking. He's like, hey, no hurry, man. Take your time getting there. And so I, I was looking forward to taking some nice side routes and stuff because it had been a while since I really ridden. And and Sonny was just refreshed at Brian's place with new parts, so it was time to ride, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, first day out, I don't know, I was on like on the left hand side of the road was a fence, and on the other side of the fence was the Rio Grande in Mexico. That's how close I was, and I'm riding along, and it's a two lane road, seventy five mile an hour speed limit, paved, and I'm doing about seventy. And I come up over a hill and down in the saddle, you know, down in the dip to the next hill, I see a pack of animals on the road moving from my left to right. And I didn't know what they were. And they're about a half mile away, no threat to me. So I just let off my throttle and my bike is slowing down, coming down the hill. My bike doesn't backfire, but it pops a little on deceleration, pop, 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 pop. And as I'm getting closer and closer, I see that it's like six or seven of these brown and black real hairy pigs that are maybe a foot long. They're little. And by the time I was about to pass them, they were off the road entirely to my right. And they were skittering like they were, you know, they heard my bike and they were rushing off the road. And so, I don't know, it's the habit I've developed. I looked up ahead on the road. You could see miles ahead. There was no one coming. So as I was about to pass them, I went left to center just to put more room between me and them. Mm -hmm. And just as I passed them, like the moment I just got past them and I was about to look ahead again, you know, something moved on my left. And I, just as I turned my head from behind this huge set of cactus, mom and dad came out and they, they really weird. It's like they, they pranced on their front hooves real quick at the edge of the road. And then they both lowered their heads and charged at me. When they do the when they do the little dance at the side of the road and you're aware that they're there, does it strike you that they're they're any danger to you? Dude, it happened so fast. Yeah, it just 
And, and this, and, and trust me, it's one of the worst things in my life that's happened. It's, it plays over and over and over. This isn't like the accident where I went through the windshield and thank God my memory was wiped. This I, I have over and over in my head, not anymore every night, but, um, uh, Jim, I encountered so many animals on my trip. Like I hit an iguana that was probably three feet long in Panama. Wow. I hit it broadside and I hit it so hard at 50 miles an hour that it just, I, I launched into the air, like hitting a speed bump, like a tope. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure I killed it. But when it came out of the jungle and ran in front of me, I didn't know what it was going to do. I'd never seen one. I didn't know like a squirrels go everywhere. Uh, you know, you understand. It's impossible to predict what's going to happen. Right. So so like Keith code and other expert motorcycle trainers, they tell you this, like for all animals, brace yourself and maintain your line. Because if you try to deviate your line, you're just throwing more math into the equation because you don't know what they're going to do. And if they they change their direction, then you, then you got to rejudge and slow down if you can Right. Your yeah. best bet is to, is to brace yourself and maintain your line slow, of course, if you can. And so I did, I didn't do anything. I, I just froze kind of, and, uh, the male, the one with the big tusks hit my front wheel from the left side. And about the same time, the other one slams into my left leg about the, at the knee crushing my leg against the bike. The one that hits my knee bounces off. That one died on impact bounces off and flies to the left. The one that hit my front wheel flies up in the air, hits my leg that was just crushed, knocking my foot off the foot peg. And my left leg flies back and, and I start like pirouetting like a ballerina. I can remember thinking to myself, oh crap, I'm about to come off the bike. And as my left leg's spinning around backwards, it slams into my top case behind me and then goes forward again, back onto the bike. And my le- now my left foot is like loose and my left hand was knocked off the handlebars. And a bike's doing a tank slapper. And any, anyone that's ridden long enough, when, you, when your steering's out of control, try to lock up your rear brake. It brings the bike upright and s- straight again. The problem is your bike is now going straight in whatever direction momentum is taking you. But at least then you have some chance of braking and controlling. So I did that. I locked up the rear wheel, brought the bike straight, and somehow managed to pull over on the shoulder and stop about maybe 100 yards after impact. And I instinctively went to put my left foot down off the foot peg to put my kickstand down and to get off the bike. And I felt nothing. It was just numb. And I fell over on my side and the bike fell on top of me. (laughs) And I laid there like in tears crying because it really hurt. Uh, And I don't really remember how long it was, 15 minutes, half hour. I don't know. And then a border patrol agent found me. Jeez. (laughs) That's uh, just so crazy story. Yeah. The (laughs) thing is that, you know, I think that a lot of people would look at the wild pig and think, okay, I mean, it's a threat as far as knocking off your bike, but not to do the damage that it did. Well, the border patrol agent, there was no cell phone coverage and another border patrol agent comes and no cell phone coverage. And everybody was freaking out because they were going to put me in one of their cars and take me somewhere. And then, and then a Texas fishing game guy comes pulling up, and he had a satellite phone. So he lets them call an ambulance in Alpine, Texas, which I guess was closest to where I was. And then they took, they took me to a hospital. 
Um, this only surgeon in the area was on vacation. So I had to go to a flea bitten motel and stay in a motel bed for five days with my leg crushed before no surgery. Way. Oh, yeah. why not move you to somewhere else to another hospital? Because, because of money and because my insurance only covered X thousands of dollars. Oh, so you instantly. A, 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 oh. a huge, a huge shout out right now to adventure writer, Jay Masterson. Okay. Jay's got a, and I'm not going to like advertise his YouTube channel or anything, but Jay is an adventure writer in, out of Terlingua, Texas. And I was on my way to meet Jay and stay with him a few days and ride Big Bend National Park with him when the accident happened. Jay ended up coming and getting me from the hospital, getting a hotel, a motel, staying with me for the week in the motel and staying with me for another week in the motel after the surgery while I recovered. Jay was a godsend and, and one of the nicest people I've ever met. Thanks, Jay. That's incredible. Wow. Again, Seriously. a bike connection. Just amazing. Yeah. But your, your dilemma is made worse because you, you, I guess your insurance doesn't, doesn't have enough coverage for yeah. you. Um, and you're, you're going to be stuck paying for all this. Is, does that run through your mind when you're laying there on the side of the road? Did you think, Oh no. Yeah. 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 Adds yeah, to I had the a, stress. You know, it's funny. I had, I had, I had a spot three device active and running sitting in my breast pocket of my climb jacket. I never once even thought of that. I, I never even laying there. I never thought, Hey, dumbass, you've got a spot device. Hit the uh, button. And now is that because of panic, the whole situation of what happened? Or is that because you've traveled it for so long and never used it? You almost forget you have it. No, I can't say I forget I have it because I remember to recharge batteries and keep it on every day. Uh. A link, a link to my spot track was on my blog and thousands of people were checking out where I was every day. Uh, I think it's more from panic. Oh, sheer panic that, oh my God, I'm, I'm really hurt and everything's up. It's over. It's all over. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's over. I, I mean, even, uh, I'm not going to uh, go hard for me not to get emotional, Jim, but, you know, for Woody to, <sighs> anyways. Well, we'll talk about that. What, what happened? I mean, where do you go from here? You've got, you basically, you've got no money. Now you're messed up. I don't know if your bike is messed up at this point, but I, you certainly are. You're not going anywhere on your bike. I called Woody and I said, hey, you know, I can't make it to Denver to work for you. I'm, my leg's messed up. This is Woody from Woody's Wheelworks. Now, is this, this an old friend? Is Woody an old friend? Yeah, Woody, um, well, before my trip, I had Woody build custom wheels for other motorcycles for me. So I knew the shop and I knew his his manager at the time, Rochelle. Um at the beginning, when I announced I was building a DR650 for the trip, Woody's offered to sponsor the trip by building me custom wheels for, for Sunny, my bike. So in 2018, I first met Woody in person. And um, we became, you know, fast friends, you know. Um, so I said, hey, you know, uh, I can't make it. My leg's messed up. What's wrong? And I said, I a bunch of broken bones. He's like, you know, I got a spare bedroom pulling up here and get better. And, uh, honestly, uh, if I had known in Texas, when they were piecing together my leg with screws and metal plates and stuff, if I had known what the doctor had written in his notes, what the surgeon had written in his notes about what my future would entail, I probably would have immediately then just gone back to Ohio to the Cleveland clinic, which is, you know, like the finest hospital in the world. In other words, like, Four surgeries later, when they said, hey, now we're going to give you an arthroplasty, which is an uh, artificial knee. Mm-hmm. I'm like, 
okay, why are, what, what were we doing with all these prior surgeries? Well, you know, we were trying to do this. We were trying to do that. Oh, so these were all attempts, failed attempts that cost you money. Right, right. And then it turns out I see notes from the original surgeon in Texas that said, Mr. Byers is going to need an arthroplasty, which is a knee replacement. And let's just put it this way, Jim, uh, for them to put an artificial knee in means basically cutting the tibia and the fibia tips off, drilling holes in the center of the tibia and the fibia, and then screwing and epoxying in artificial joints. Okay. Um, they couldn't do that because the bones needed to support artificial stuff were all in pieces. And when they put them back together, all the pieces weren't quite put to back together straight. So even after getting their artificial knee, I couldn't straighten my leg and I couldn't stand up or walk. So two months ago, I had surgery number five, which was a revision of my femur where they took the knee apart, unscrewed the upper the one attached to my femur, and then cut the end of the femur to a different angle, screwed the knee back together to try to give the knee a better chance of straightening. And sure enough, I can straighten my leg now, and I'm in therapy now learning how to walk. Yay. (laughs) And I can ride. I can climb climb on the bike. (laughs) How long has it been since the accident? November of 2021. And where have you been all this time? In Woody, sir. You're staying at Woody's still? Yeah, I'm in Woody's house right now. He's 20 feet from me and watching TV. He he's opened his house to you. You you're, yeah. and what you were you were calling for is because you had a job with him, right? You had arranged to come back and work for yeah. him. Yeah, to raise I wanted him to learn how to build wheels. But instead, now what you're doing is is just basically sitting at his house. Yeah, I hate to say. It. Well, you know, I mean, I try I try my best to help around the house, uh, laundry, uh, cleaning. You know, mm. what I can to to help. I, I help him with chores and running errands and doing stuff when I can. Wow. What kind of a guy is Woody? And we've had him on the show here. I mean, you know, he's, he's yeah, a character. Yeah. Woody is a character and, and he's a wonderful man. Um, for him to open his heart and his house to me like this is, I don't know. Again, I, I have a hard time talking about this part of it without getting emotional, Jim. So, uh, God bless Woody Witty. You know, and, 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 and anyone out there listening, his wheels are, nearly indestructible. I mean, I'm sure there's things you could do to damage one, but my rear wheel and especially has been rear-ended by two different vehicles. Once in Mexico, a taxi hit my rear wheel so hard that it threw me forward onto my front wheel where I rolled on my front wheel to rear end up in the air for like five feet before it came slamming down. Mm. Didn't damage the rim, nothing. Um, so it's a, it's a heck of an investment. You know, some people think that I went a little over the top in the modifications I did to the DR650. But again, my budget was you know, eight, nine thousand ish, and I could have bought a lot of things for that money. I could have bought a used GS Beamer. I could have bought a nice used KTM. But I did my homework, and a lot of hardcore, long-term travelers love the DR650 because of its simplicity. You know, and and I and I have to concur, you know, a complete rebuild kit for my carburetor with every jet and seal and rubber O-ring weighs four grams in a little baggie. So I carried four rebuild kits, you know. Where do you go from here? What happens now? Well, I'm trying to get recuperated enough to ride any kind of real distance more than a day or so. Like I've been going for 
four or five hour long rides up in the mountains, some dirt, uh, not difficult dirt. Cause I don't want to have to dab my leg down. Um, it's hard getting off and on the bike, but it's not too bad riding. And, um, in June, I turned 62, the first day of summer. And my plan is to be back in Ohio because that's my official address. And I have options to go on disability and start collecting my Social Security early at 62. Um, it looks like my retirement income will be a little bit north of 2000 a month after taxes. And so I've already done the math and I'm either going to be leaving for Mexico, Ecuador, or Peru, maybe. Maybe even Brazil. The family I stayed with, the Honorios, offered me a job at the hotel um, with room and board, room and board included. And it would be nice to be in Brazil and, and feel relaxed to explore. It's a beautiful country. So you're talking moving permanently. That, that this, this will be, you're looking for yes. your new home still. Yeah. Yeah. Any, any plans to to continue to to ship the bike over to Africa and explore there? Does, does it go on from there? The thought process at all? Not unless I pick up sponsorships that help make that that possible or income that makes that possible. Um, my retirement income, as I see it coming within the next six months to a year, would be enough to support me easily in a Latin country. But as far as uh, supporting travel. I'd have, you know, I'd have to think about that. Uh, maybe if I didn't travel for a year or two and save the nest egg, that's news to anyone that's listening. You know, if you're, if you're even a broke old hippie like me and you're cashing in to travel, you still need to have enough of a backup nest egg to get out of trouble, to get you home, to get your bike home, to get a, a major hospital bill paid. Sure. It was even as cheap as I was. And I'm a skin flint cheap. I mean, uh, I still had enough to take care of those problems when they rose, you know? Well, Dan, I, I hope that you have a speedy recovery. I, I really do. Well, thanks, Jim. It's, it's quite the story. And um, thank you yeah. very much for, for sitting down and, and talking about this and, and telling your story and say hello to Woody for me. Tell him happy birthday. I will. I will. was Dan Byers from his temporary home at Woody's Wheelworks in Denver, Colorado. We've got a link to Dan's page on uh, ADV Rider in the show notes for this episode on our website, adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, that about wraps 
wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. Hey, this show is built on a model of advertising and listener support. We need your support. Drop our website, adventureriderradio.com. Anything $10 or more gets you an Adventure Rider Radio sticker for your pannier, your toolbox. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. Um, There's a bunch of different ways to do it. We would love to get you as one of our patron supporters. That way we can count on having you there every month for us. Anyway, adventureriderradio.com. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike if you can. My name is Jim Martin. Thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I'll talk to you next week. Hi, I'm Graham Jarvis and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.